Okay, we're in this series in this summer called A Summer in Rome, and we're looking at the book of Romans. Today we're going to be in Romans 6, so if you want to turn there, if you brought your Bibles, great. If not, all the slides are going to be, all the text is going to be on the screen. Now, if you don't know about the Christian subculture, we are great at putting um, bumper stickers on our cars. There are three kinds of people, basically, that put bumper stickers on their cars. Uh, you got Christians, tree huggers, and people with honor students, and if you have a Christian tree hugger with an honor student, then you can't see out the back. But anyway, um, we, we use these basically because it's been done, well, I'll, I'll show you. Um, see, even Joseph and Mary did it, so it's not like we're the first. These can be incredibly snarky uh, as uh, Christians. I'll, I'll give you some examples. Um, this fish won't fry, will you? That's horrible. I mean, you talk about passive aggressive. Um, are you, now, this one bothers me. Are you following Jesus as close? Shouldn't it be closely, Miriam? Shouldn't it be closely? <laughs> Grammatically? We don't even get the grammar right. I mean, that's horrible. Um, C-H-U-R, you, you, you hate that one. You should. Uh, what's missing? You are. Tithe if you love. Now, Cliff and I like this one. Uh, tithe if you love Jesus, anybody can honk. Every pastor everywhere should have that on their car. Uh, I think I have a couple more. Oh, yeah. Um, in case of rapture, this car will be abandoned. Horrible. Uh, I bet Jesus would have used his turn signal. Yes! That one's true. Uh, uh, are you ready to face the book or Twitter with hell? Uh, that is uh, really, really passive-aggressive. Okay. And then there's, um, there's this one, pray for Obama. That seems awfully nice because we should pray for our pastor, uh, our, our president, and our pastor. Uh, except Psalm 109.8, it says... Uh, May his days be few and another take his office. So, it seemed nice until you read it. Then it's not nice. Yeah. Uh, and then this is the one I kind of want us to focus on for the day. It's not a bumper sticker, but you're going to get the point. And I've seen this one before, and it's half true. But it's not all true. And we're going to kind of unpack this a little bit. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Now, we, we aren't perfect, that part is true, but we're far more than just forgiven. And so let's review last week, if you weren't here, I'll give you a quick rundown of, of what we talked about. But the truth of salvation is it's received, not achieved. And too many of us are trying to win God's approval and win God's favor, and you already have God's approval, and you already have God's favor the reason we know that is because he sent his son to die on a cross so that we might be saved. We don't have to do anything to achieve salvation. We just receive it as a gift. Now, Paul is brilliant. And he knows what's going to happen when he gives this message. Because all other religions, every other religion can be summed up in, in, like this. Do something to win God's favor. And that keeps the troops in line. Because if you have to win God's favor, then you're going to be doing good things or whatever things you think it takes to please your God. So you're going to show up at church, you're going to give money, you're going to do mission, you're going to do something in order to win God's approval. Okay, so Paul just said, hey, hey, that's not how it works. It's grace, for by grace you're saved through faith. It, it's just grace, nothing but grace. Okay, so... Paul knows human nature. 
And, and so he needs to dial that back a little bit. Not, not that grace isn't enough. But if we're not careful, our sinfulness will say, well, if, it doesn't, if I don't have to do anything, and I'm saved because I put my trust in Jesus, then I can do whatever I want to. And there were people then, and there are people now, who say, well, if it's just about faith, I've got faith, and then I can do whatever I want to. Well, that's not true. All right, so the truth is salvation isn't re- is received, not achieved. But it's much more than just being forgiven. If you take out a, a, a coin, there are two sides to it. Grace is one side. But we still do things, and we're going to talk about it today. The big idea is salvation isn't just about eternal life in the future. It's about the power to live a new life now. Do, do you act a certain way to win God's approval? No. Do you act a certain way because you've won God's approval? Yes. Yes. And last week we talked about this, this notion that when God sees us, when we place our trust in our faith in Christ, he, we, get, um, we get credit uh, for what Jesus did. It's amazing. And, G- and God sees Jesus in us. And, and when I was um, driving to work, uh, driving here this, this morning, I was thinking, how, how can I best explain that? H- have you ever seen... Um, like a really homely guy with a beautiful woman. I mean, you know, he's like, you're thinking, oh my word. Um, Cliff and Sherry would be an example. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh my word, you know, oh my word. Well, but, but if you were to ask this woman, hey, what do you see? If you've ever had this conversation, now you, you're never going to say, your husband is homely. You're not going to say that. But you've had conversations with people, and it is amazing to me that if you really love somebody, you see in them something that nobody else can see. My wife sees in me much more than I have to offer. She, she sees the best of me. Okay. God looks at us, and he sees this child that he loves, that he just absolutely loves and he sees you that way and he offers us grace and we then give back we do things and so Paul knows that there's going to be this temptation well I've got grace and I can do whatever I want to so in chapter 6 he just sort of jumps into an argument against this okay again brilliant it's brilliant so look at uh, verse 1 What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I mean, after all, the worse I am, the more grace it takes to save me. And the worse I am, if I can be saved, then uh, I am a poster child for God's grace. And the worse I am, then it's more grace. And if God can save me, he can save anybody. This could be our notion. This could be the way we think it's like we have a divine visa card to sin, you know. I can just, anything I do is going to be forgiven because I have faith in Jesus. Now, Paul answers his own question. By no means. Uh, there are other translations. L- let me give you some of these. Of course not. May it never be. No, no. What a ghastly thought. And if you were to put it in today's vernacular, you would say, duh. Duh. By no means. 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, I've got to tell you something. I don't always feel if I have died to sin. So what is it? It has to mean something. So what does it mean? Well, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. Died to sin doesn't mean that we're gradually moving toward, um, away from sin toward righteousness. Like it's a scale. The more righteous I get, the less sin I have. It's not particularly that. And died to sin doesn't mean that we have merely renounced sin. You know, um, you, you, you can't be mostly dead, right? You die, you're either dead or you're not dead. No matter what you heard on Princess Bride, uh, you cannot be mostly dead. You're either dead or you're not dead. So you're dead to sin or you're not dead to sin. Now, unfortunately, I kind of still feel sin sometimes gets the best of me. And I suspect that sin sometimes gets the best of you. And so Paul gives this illustration. It's a, it's a great illustration. He uses baptism. And he says, oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Let, hit, time out just for a second. In first century, being baptized into something was relatively common. So if a Gentile wanted to be a Jewish person, uh, wanted to become Jewish, they would, they would be baptized. In, you could be baptized into Judaism. That, that's kind of how it works. In fact, some rabbis said that once you were baptized into Judaism, then your relationship with your family no longer existed. I mean, it was a, it was a striking moment. The reason we do baptism publicly is because it is your public expression of faith. You do it in front of people because you want people to know, I'm now a Christian, or I'm, I'm now following Jesus, and I want you to know that I'm now following Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us, but it is an expression of what's already happened. And I'd like you to hold me accountable, because I'm proclaiming Jesus is Lord of my life. All right, so uh, we were baptized into Christ Jesus uh, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, joy, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is a picture. It's a beautiful picture. We're going to have baptism out at Lake something. What is it? Lake L. Lyman. Yeah. Um, that's northeast of here. West. It's that way. Uh, and... Uh, we're going to go back, do baptism. But baptism is a picture. And, and so we walk into the water, and that's symbolic of being in Christ. And then if you've ever been to a baptism, this is what it looks like. Uh, we take the person and we put them under the water. That's representative of death. We bring them out of the water. That's representative of resurrection. People sometimes say, well, why don't you sprinkle? Well, because, you know, not to be catty or anything, but it's not a, a great uh, visual of burial and resurrection. And so when I, when I baptize somebody, I'll ask, I ask two questions. Have you ever uh, asked Christ to forgive your sins? And I, I, have them, I give them the opportunity to verbally express their faith. And then the second question I ask is, do you promise that no matter what God asks you to do, you'll do it? Again, an opportunity to, to say, not only has Jesus saved me from my sins, but he's going to lead me in my life. And then when they go under, I'll say, buried with him in baptism, just like this, and raised to walk in newness of life. And if you've died and come back, we are identifying that Christ now rules in our lives. That, that's kind of the beautiful part of baptism is that it's this picture that identifies us with Christ. 
And it also is a picture of where we are in our faith today. We, we aren't what we used to be. It, it's a picture. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrected life, resurrected life like his. We get to identify with him not only in his death, but also in his life. We weren't just saved from something, we're saved to something. Now I have the capability, because I am saved, to live life without sin. It doesn't mean I don't sin. It just means I have the power to do it. I have the potential to do it. And this is amazing. Too many of us live this sort of um, defeatist attitude. Well, I, I'm just a, what's, what's the expression? I'm a, a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner. Just a sinner saved by grace. Well, but you're more than just a sinner saved by grace. You're more than that. Uh, you, you, are, you, are, you have the power. Let's sing it. I got the power. I mean, you got it. You have the power of the resurrection. I mean, if you got the power over death, you, you got power. That is some kind of power. How many of us wouldn't like to have power over death? It's pretty cool stuff. The resurrection says you've got the power to live a life just like Jesus lived. Um, we fail at it, but man, we got the power to do it. Uh, J.D. Greer, great, great comment here. Christianity's not turning over a new leaf. It's the power to live a new life. I've got the power to hold my tongue. I don't have to say everything I think. I've got the power to not hate on people. I've got the power to love even though they're not like me. I've got the power to give generously even though I'd like to hoard stuff for myself. I've got the power to do these things. I've got the power. The Bible doesn't tell us to do stuff. It doesn't give us the power to do if you, if you were if you had a, a hundred acre farm and you said i 'd like you to mow that i 'd be happy to serve you in that, but you 're going to have to give me a tool, not a push mower i 'm going to need more than that right i 'm going to need more than a team of horses or a, a pack of goats I'm, are they packs i don 't know what goats come in uh, i 'm going to need more right you got to give me the tools to do what you 're asking me to do. The Bible gives us the tools and he talks about it it 's the the power. The problem is, as soon as we hear this, I've got this power, we automatically go, I don't know if you do, I, I automatically go to a selfish place. How can I use this for my benefit? Um, so, there are some Christians who teach that you should never be unhealthy because you got the power over sickness. The other day, I had a headache. Um, headaches aren't much fun. Anybody ever had a headache? Yeah, you might have one now listening to this. Uh, I get that. I had a headache. And this guy said, you want me to pray for you? And I'm thinking, no, I'm going to take an aspirin. Uh, it is okay to have a headache. You want to know why? If I always felt good, I'd never know what it was like to not feel good. A headache every now and then, you know what? It reminds me, boy, I feel good most of the time. Aren't you enjoying this air conditioning in here? If you have been outside for more than two minutes in the last week, What's the humidity here in, in this area? 90%? What is wrong with you people? Anyway, uh, you walk from here to your car, you break a sweat. I mean, it is nuts. I don't know how you live here. Anyway, uh, who settled here? I mean, somebody came here and said, I like this. Uh, anyway, 
if, if that's all you knew, and then you come into air conditioning, it's like, oh, man, this is a gift. I mean, this is a, let's thank God, right? Lord, thank you that our air conditioning is working right now. Thank you, Jesus. I, I'm thanking him. That's the first time ever uh, clap for uh, air conditioning. Uh, good, that's awesome. Um, we have this power not to be used selfishly. Uh, well, then I'm going to pray to be wealthy. I'm going to pray to win the lottery. Huh? Have you ever prayed to win the lottery? No, raise your hand. Uh, uh, I'm going to pray to win the lottery. I'm going to pray to win the lottery i am going to pray I'm going to pray to get a date. Uh, it, it's, not a, it's not given, this power isn't given to us so that we might, might treat it selfishly. I mean, if I were to say to you, um, I hear you won the Powerball. I bought you a Powerball ticket and it hit $100 million. W- would you immediately think, I got to tithe? Or would you be thinking, I need a new house. I need some new slippers. Uh, I need some orange socks like the preacher. I mean, what would you be thinking? We, we, we automatically, if we're not careful, I mean, I guarantee you, I gave you the Powerball ticket, and I don't think the first thing you'd think is, I need to give him a cut. I, I, like, because we think selfishly. It's just who we are. It's how we wire. And, and so Paul needs, needs to let people know, listen, listen, you've got power to be obedient to Christ. Now, what's super cool about this? And when I look at Scripture, man, I love Scripture because it's honest. The people that God used most were jacked up folk. I mean, Peter, good grief, he was a braggart. Uh, if all else, if everybody else falls away, I'm not going to fall away. And it's like, well, that's stupid because in about uh, ten minutes you're going to deny me three times. I mean, Peter made these huge claims. He had this big ego. Paul, Paul was, he could, man, the, the, the dude gave consent to people being killed because they were Christians. Uh, you, over and over, John was harsh. You, you've got people that God chose to use in a magnificent way who were incredibly flawed. Now, you might think, well, yeah, that's, that's okay, but that's not me. Yeah, it is you. We're all flawed. And God gives us each one this power to live this amazing life. It's not what we can do for Christ, but what he can do through us to serve others, to, 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 to expand the kingdom, those sorts of things. Now look at verse 11. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You can be dead to sin. Now, th- this passage is kind of built on two commands. Number one, it said count yourself, also the word reckon. Not the way we southerners use reckon. I reckon it's going to rain today. It's not that. It, it is an accounting term. We used it last week. Logizomai. It, it is attributing something, it's giving credit that you didn't earn. Right? You, you get credit for something you didn't do. All right? Um, at Christmas time, sometimes, Miriam makes bread. It is delicious. And she, the, she would make these, and I would give it to the staff, and they would thank me. <laughs> would you like to know how much, I had, how much hand I had in making that? Uh, none. I had no, no hand. Uh, the only thing I did was stay out of Miriam's way, okay? I didn't talk to her. She was doing her thing. I, I get out of the way. Okay, I got credit for something somebody else did. Well, that's what we talked about last week. That's salvation. I get credit for what Jesus did. Kind of cool. So I, I reckon myself dead to sin. I, 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 um, 
God looks at me as not a sinner. He looks at me as Christ. And, and then uh, we, we put our faith in Christ. This is how it works. God counts our faith as righteousness. And when we agree with God and consider ourselves as righteous, God gives us this power, this power to live it, to live it. We get credit for it. That's the process. Uh, we used Abraham. He used Abraham as an example. Let's, let's re review. Abraham was 90. God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham knew <laughs> blue pill, no blue pill. This probably ain't happening. My wife's old. I'm old. Talked about being doubly dead. And not only have we been infertile all our lives, we're old now. We're doubly dead. And yet he believed. He believed it because God said it. And God says this and we can believe it. That's what reckoning means. Um, there are other verses. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's this kind of this cool, sort of mysterious aspect of Christianity that we see something in Scripture and we believe it. Whether it seems rational or reasonable or not, we reckon it to be true. I can be dead to sin. I am dead to sin. Um, we receive strength to be dead to sin when we believe God has made us dead to sin. All right, so this is that Armstrong guy, the one that landed on the moon. What, Glenn, is that his name? Neil. Yeah, I knew that. I was checking. All right, Neil. And Neil kind of jumps off and he says, this is one small leap for man, one, or one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Now, Mr. Armstrong is in a hostile environment here. Apart from that spacesuit, he cannot exist on the moon. He couldn't have one day said, you know, I'm going to go out with the without the spacesuit. Um, I, I, I'd like to go look around, and I really can't, kick, I can't feel the rocks under my feet like I want to with this suit on. So I'm just going to jump out and hang out for a few minutes, and then I'm going to come back. No, no. The only way he existed on the moon is he has this suit. It created an environment within an environment to help him survive in an inhospitable world. All right. So we have the Word of God. We have uh, the communion with our friends. We, we have prayer. We, we have these resources that God provides us to live in an inhospitable world. We can live this way. We, we can walk with Christ closely. Um, th this is possible for us. Now, he goes on. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You don't have to obey sin. You don't have to. No longer do it. Therefore, don't do this anymore. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. The first command was reckon, believe that you can live without sin. The second thing, let me go back, is to restore God to the center of our lives. You, you don't have to live that way anymore. We, we, we choose who we obey. Look at verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. 
we choose who's our master. Stuart Briscoe, a great preacher who at one time was in the Royal Marines, um, and he had a commander, and the commander ordered him around, and, and he remembered the time that he was discharged. And he had his discharge paper, and he walks out of the office, and he sees this guy who, moments earlier, if he had commanded him, stand up straight, go to the mess hall, if he had given him a command, would have had to obey. And he walks out of the room, and he sees this guy, and he snaps to attention, because that's all he's known for the last six years. And then the realization sweeps over him. He's not in charge of me anymore. That, that guy used to boss me around, but he has no authority to boss me around anymore. I, I, I can be obedient to him, but I don't have to. I, I, I can listen to him, but there's no reason to. Because he's not the boss of me anymore. And he goes on, Paul goes on. Don't you know that when you offered yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. We, we as the great Bob Dylan once said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord. That's, he got it from this verse right here. You're going to serve somebody. Somebody is going to be your master. And the truth of the matter is, someone or something sits on the throne of every heart in this room. Someone or something sits on the throne. Now, look at this. I'm going to give you this. You should write this down. If you have your notes, write this down. And honestly, you should take this home and think about it. Think about it this afternoon or sometime. Because these are core idols at the center of every human heart. Some people, they cannot live without power. They have to have power. Some people have to be in control. Some people are addicted to approval. Some folks are addicted to comfort. And when it gets uncomfortable, they don't like it. Now, really, there's nothing wrong, particularly with any of these. There are people in powerful positions that aren't sinning. There are people who take control that aren't particularly sinning. Uh, you can be approved of folks and not be sinful. Uh, you can have comfort and not be in sin. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But John Calvin kind of put it well. Evil is not typically desiring something wrong, but want, wanting something good too much. Verse 12, let's go back to it. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that, it, uh, so that you obey its evil desires. The, the word evil desires is, it's one word in the Greek, epithumia. Ooh, epithumia. That sounds, all right, that's, that's the word of the day you get to impress your other Baptist friends with. Okay, epithumia, uh, evil desires. Thumia means um, a strong urging, uh, a strong urging. Epi means it's, it's crazy big, it's, it's huge, it, it controls your life. So, there's nothing wrong with money, but, but if I want money too much, and then I don't get it, I get bitter, and, and I start feeling like a, a second-hand citizen, and, and I begin to cheat to get it. And if I um, be in a relationship, boy, there's nothing wrong with wanting a relationship. But, but if I don't have a family, all of a sudden I start to feel sorry for myself. And I start to think God hates me and I might compromise my standards to get in a relationship. It's wanting it too much. 
good things are okay, but you want it too much. Tim Keller says there's a way that you can kind of check yourself. The things that make you angry, the things that make you fear, and the things that make you incredibly sad, those are the things that are likely something ultimate in your life. Now, I, I get angry sometimes. It's not just anger. It's when it's epi-anger, like when you are really messed up about something. And you know, fear, fear happens. It's not when you're fearful, it's when fear paralyzes you. If there's something in your life that if it was taken away and you have this epi-fear, that's something that's ultimate in your life. And what triggers these three emotions for you is the thing that is on the throne. I'm going to tell you, as I prepared this, I've read this message just to prepare for you guys probably ten times. Because it's difficult to understand a little bit. But this makes so much sense to me. Because when I examine my life, and I see the things that make me crazy angry, or crazy scared, or crazy sad, it makes sense to me that these are things that have displaced God on the throne of my heart. It, it could easily be comfort or approval or power, all those things we talked about before. When I look at it in this light, when I, when I just sort of get by myself, turn off the television, get away from the family, just some alone time, and I have a chance to examine my own heart, this makes sense to me. Because I, I look back at times I've been incredibly angry or incredibly scared or incredibly sad. Those are the things that often displace God on the throne of my heart. Whatever mastery you choose, it, the problem is, leads to a certain destination. And Paul is saying, you don't have to choose the wrong, the wrong master. And then he ends with this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're not destined... To sin. Salvation is more than just not going to hell when you die. It's not just eternity in heaven. It's the ability and the power to live the life that God always wanted you to live. In the here and now. So let's go back to our question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I'm going to pray that we would believe this truth. That those of us who have placed Christ on the throne of our hearts, we have accepted this gift called grace. We've placed Him at the throne of our hearts. I'm going to pray for us right now that we who have died to sin will not live in it any longer. Because it is possible we have the power... We have the potential because God has given it to us. Lord, thank you for this time to be reminded of not just who we can become, but who we are in Jesus. We don't have to let sin be our master anymore. We don't have to let sin reign in our hearts anymore. I don't have to do the things I don't want to do anymore. You Father, have given us power to live the life you've called us to live. 
And we thank you for that. And if we have put our expectations of ourselves way too low, because we just sort of accept that we're going to stray, help us to believe. Help us to have faith in what you say. That sin doesn't have to reign in our mortal bodies any longer. Heaven forbid that we sin so that grace might abound more. We are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for salvation. And we are thankful for the power to live a life that reflects your love. In his name, amen.